You know, I think about us, the three of us, what we could be. I think about it all the time. Please, it's terrible. No, it's not. I know June. She's my friend. I care about her. How's your day going? You look pretty. Thanks. I wore it just for you. Her father's a driver named Nick. He helped me to survive. Yes, you can, because I can't lose you. I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. What about you? Your girlfriend is a badass. Welcome to Above the Garage, a Nick and June, The Handmaid's Tale podcast. Hi, friends. Welcome to our spoiler-free analysis of season two, episode three of The Handmaid's Tale, which is entitled Baggage. Let's do our round of introductions and dive in. Hi, I'm Megan. Hi, I'm Scarlett. Hi, I'm Yulia. And I'm Kate. So this episode opens with June running around the Boston Globe, and I love the song. It's Go by Juice World. Oh, Juice World and the Kid. Uh, but it's just like such a fun song for her to run around and we see how like huge the globe is and she ends up at the memorial that she had started making in the last episode and is walking around inside the circle doing her voiceover she says um, women are so adaptable it's truly amazing what we can get used to I've been here for two months what have I gotten used to Um, and so we know now that she's been here for two whole months long time and then it flashes to Moira going for a run in Canada, and she's also running through a circular memorial, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. I like the images fading into each other. And she runs back home to Luke, who says they're doing more military exercises along the border, the Canadian and British forces. And Aaron comes out. Aaron's still around, and she's still not talking. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, I, I love their, their non-talking relationship, even. is kind of cute. And he tells her not to stay in bed all day. So she's still not moved past her trauma all that far. Did you realize that Luke's not working in construction? No. What is it? What is it that he used to do before? I'm under the impression that he wasn't in construction before, but more like like an engineer maybe, or like a planner or a supervisor. But if you see his clothes are dirty and he has work boots. So I think he's doing manual labor. So that's kind of like a change from what I kind of believe he was doing before Gilead to what he's had to do in Canada yeah I don't think we know though I think the only thing that the only clue we had was him saying that he was her June saying that Luke was on site that day when Hannah was Mm -hmm. um so yeah I could I can see that that might mean he is not normally on site right so like you're saying he was an engineer or something and now he's doing manual labor so that yeah that's really interesting I did not notice that good observation he says they're getting ready for an invasion 1775 all over again. What is the invasion? He's, he's hoping they're going to invade Gilead or. Yeah. I okay. think he like, I mean, he's talking about British invasion. I guess, right. So, yeah. Like you're maybe more than me, an expert in American history. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, we, uh, we focus heavily on 1776. 76. So when he said 1775, I was like, oh, I mean, I guess things were happening. Well, at some point, the British needed to come. I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. We didn't win immediately, but okay. So that he was talking about invading Gilead. So he's just like wishful thinking as usual, trying, you know, overly positive. They're going to save everyone. World's going to be great. June's coming home. And Moira's cooking for Luke. He says, thanks, mom. She says, fuck you. He says, my mom said the same thing. You know, they're, they've got this banter thing going along now, living together happily, the three of them, it seems. Actually, there's one scene where they look really miserable later in the episode, I noticed, but mm-hmm. as happily as they can be, I suppose. Uh, and then it flashes to June listening to 
an interview of a guy that joined Sons of Jacob and uh, she says she's grasping at straws, but straws can be useful. One of the little pigs built a whole house of them, out of them. Uh, you were there all the time, but no one noticed you. All right, not no one. And then it flashes back to talking about her mom, Holly. I had her taking her to a protest when she was a kid, but she thought that she was taking her to feed the ducks. And she's like, I should have known who feeds the ducks at night. Um, and she says she loves seeing her mom like that. But this whole episode, you just see this huge contrast between Holly's rebel self and June's not rebel self yet. Yeah. Yeah, that dynamic's really interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. And I guess I meant to look that up, but I guess it was like a take back the night kind of mm-hmm. thing because they were, uh, she said they were writing. I, I learned later those hundreds of papers were like the names of their rapists. And so that must be especially interesting to her um, now. I think she went to that flashback because when she's looking at the clippings in the newspaper, there's the one that she touches is touch, uh, talking about a protest. Uh-huh. And then she flashes back to that scene with her mom. Right. Because her mom was constantly like, she said they need to be protesting. She knew something was coming and June didn't listen. She said there were so many papers, it looked like snow. And that's just really sad. When this transition to the flashback when, when June was a kid happened. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, she, she said when she's looking at the SLJ clippings and the newspaper articles, she right. said like, they've always been there. And then the flashback is happening. Yes. Like, I was wondering... Like, how long are they around? Because she was still, still like, does she refer to the sons of Jacob in particular or just like groups of them? Right. I think the roots of it, the idea has mm-hmm. always been there. It's, it's been brewing and now it's here. That's why her mom was always on alert and telling her to be aware something like this can happen because, yeah. you know, you can mm-hmm. see things if you're paying attention. I feel like we can see and understand that a lot better than I could the first time. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, just like a lot of racism and stuff that has come out of the woodwork that I didn't realize the amount was still around, you know, they didn't feel comfortable being themselves and um, some things changed and they did. So it's been, it just hits, it hits home watching this. Um, and then it's back to her current time sorting through the newspaper research and uh, Nick comes out and hands her coffee and this is where I think you see most that they've you know that it's been two months because they're very like bubbly comfortable domestic almost yeah mm-hmm. yeah comfortable with each other and uh, he hands her the coffee and she's joking with him like Reed is going to kill you and he's looking through um, the clippings which is interesting because she does have like a sense of Jacob area. Mm-hmm. And I do not think that they have had that conversation. No. And I'm surprised that that would be avoidable uh, when she's doing all this research. But they're, uh, you can tell they're just really in love. They're really comfortable when he said, she says, you didn't wake me. He says, you didn't wake me. And she says, if I wake you, then you leave. Where, how's that a win for me? Which, by the way, um, if you don't wake him, he's going to die June. So wake him up. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder where he is. Right. (laughs) When he doesn't come back. Why do we think that he's never told her in that moment of the sons of Jacob? He's ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. He's just full of guilt. And also, like, I mean, it's always in his mind that there's goodbye, like, coming soon. 
Yeah. Yeah, especially in the following scene when they hug and yeah. like every like every hug and especially this hug when it's literally goodbye. Yeah. He said they made contact, so he's aware that this might be one of the last times they see each other. So right, and it would yeah, it would have been even more. Yeah. And on top of that, in addition to that, he never thinks that he's gonna get her for like the long term for life. Yeah. So he doesn't need to tell her he doesn't want to waste the little time they have together i guess he, he probably thinks that it's going to make her hate him right and he's probably he knows he's going to be saying goodbye he's going to be yeah. saying goodbye to her yeah so anyway i think that it's very much on his mind but he decides not to tell her and so yeah so then he says you know i better be going and he comes over i love their little um embrace there where her arms go underneath his jacket and i just think it's very sweet and then he's finally tells her. So apparently they've spent like the night together and he hasn't mentioned this because he's dreading it because he's dreading, mm-hmm. you know, separating mm-hmm. from her. And finally he's like, so they make contact. I think you better get ready to go. And she says, go where? Um, he says, I don't know. I'll try and see what I can find out. I'll come back on. I'll try to come back on Tuesday for a couple hours. And she just looks at him and says, Hannah. And I. he looks like he feels like a failure like on that front you know he says I'm trying and she turns around and says fuck I can't leave and then they have the conversation where he's like getting out is better for everyone and she's like it's not better nothing is you know what is it better is better never means better for everyone which they've said a couple times Fred it came from Fred right yeah <laughs> Words yes. of wisdom from Fred Waterford yeah. <laughs> um and he says no you know it's better for Hannah and he comes to her and waits um, behind her hoping that she warms up and she does and she turns and she embraces him like tightly around the neck and it's sweet and then it flashes to Moira um, welcoming a refugee and the guy says he was in the army and after everything they just turned us into guardians a week later we were hanging people on the wall gender traitors one of them was a guy I dated in college and you just it's so traumatic and so she tells him there's a trauma counselor upstairs but it was interesting to me that they flashed flash from nick to talking about um mm-hmm. this guardian mm-hmm. being forced to as megan says i love your comply or die because that's exactly that's what it is and yeah. i think in this episode you 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 see parallels with nick with that the guardian telling i mean he's obviously traumatized Right. And then later on in the episode, you'll see yeah. the driver, Nick. He looks like so much like yeah. him. Here. <laughs> looks just like Nick. So I think we're supposed to be seeing him in, in them. I have to not think it was a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't know, <laughs> you know, some people might not pick that up, but we're supposed to be seeing how the lower class men feel in this society as well mm-hmm. and right. how they are also oppressed. Right. You know, even the economen, because it's not just the patriarchal society. It's it's a social hierarchy. And, yeah. you know, they're feeling oppressed, too, because right. they're kept down. They don't have choices they or they'll die. Out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's important. Their stories is important. They're not being as brutalized as the women at all. But, you know, not everybody's equal there. Right. Yeah. And how they're forced into doing things that they normally wouldn't do for survival. I mean, he says it within a week we were hanging people up like they didn't there's no even not even an adjustment period not like you can adjust to that ever but it's either you do that or you die you know people are always going to say i would never do that i would never do that no you will you'll Mm -hmm. hang people up if you have something to lose someone you love or if you just want to survive unfortunately that's how it works if not we didn't we wouldn't have groups like this right 
it's a, it's our instinct to survive. It's it's our instinct to do what we can to survive, even if it is you know horrible something that kills us from the inside. Doing it, yeah. But, I mean, it's very sad, actually. Something that's very overlooked too, um, mm-hmm. that people don't seem to be able to feel empathy for those type of people. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree because they don't they don't have that experience. They've never, you know, they lack the ability to put themselves in that place and they see things black and white and it's not really black and white. No, not at all. Even I like later in the episode too, when June says that to Heather, to the wife, and she says, I used to think that too, you know, Mm -hmm. I used to think I would never do that. I'd rather die. And that changes. You don't know until you know, right. You don't know until you're met with that choice. Yep. So back to June and then we hear the garage door opening again and the man doesn't have her supplies like he usually does uh, and says, no deliveries to you, only deliveries of you. Um, And she says, is Nick coming? He says, who's Nick? So she still held on to some hope, you know, that I don't know, he was going with her or he was taking her or Mm -hmm. something. She pictures life with her escape with Nick, you know, but she looks back sadly says goodbye to her two happy months at the globe which i think she probably like will forever remember really fondly because of her time with nick and the door closes when you were talking about the delivery guy you know in the past episode you know i think we mentioned it he says no deliveries to you so he was i think he was coming sporadically to bring her stuff yeah um i think that's that's his job he brought her from the first place that she was He's the one that brings her stuff. He's the one that kind of keeps the Boston Globe, I guess. Yeah, he has that stage of the escape, right? And he's he's like the Mayday guy for that. Like mm-hmm. we see that Mayday has different people, but it's just one person waiting on on like the news on how to move forward. But they never knew who the next person is, yeah. which makes it disorganized, but it's also a way of protection. Mm-hmm. That's right. why Nick says, you know, they don't tell me anything. And, and right. that always got me thinking. What did he have to do to figure all this out, to know where she was? He even says it, you know, like, do you know how hard it was for, for them to tell me where you were? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the chain of communication is, is very thin. Like, how do they know if they make it, if they don't make it? Even when he goes to look for her in the Boston Globe, like he doesn't even know if she's there. So that makes me wonder, did he go back to find her and she was gone or did he know that they were going to pick her up because it seemed that it's that same night, like he leaves and then she's the scene points to her sitting waiting and she hears the, the truck and it's the old man. So I always wondered if Nick knew that they were going to, that she was leaving and that was just their goodbye. Like it, it just makes me sad when I think about that. Yeah. 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 If he showed up and he was like, Oh, she's gone. I didn't to say goodbye goodbye or if he knew and didn't you know and and just didn't tell her because i don't know for whatever reason yeah sad i don't know (laughs) so then they flash back to june at her mom's apartment and everybody's hurt they've just gotten back from um i think they were escorting people to the clinic uh the abortion Mm -hmm. clinic and they are even acting like it's no big deal for these all these people to be injured so i mean there really are fighters here and june feels very out of place there and she is talking they're like oh what are you up to and she's like oh luke's making dinner for moira (laughs) and it's just like the dichotomy between the two worlds is drastic and you know that's a lot of what this episode is about yeah she feels uncomfortable with her mom's activist friends because she's not doing anything um she's just living a domestic life and 
being happy, not noticing what's going on in the world around her. Well, her mom was also not happy with her. No, no. She's very disappointed yeah. in her. Yeah. No. And very vocal about it. <laughs> I mean, but it's it's also maybe an issue of like the age gap between like it's a different um what's the word? <laughs> Looking for generation 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 thank you different time different generation Mm -hmm. literally um june's mom had to fight for her right as a woman yeah so and and june was born into a world that was more advanced and accepting more advanced where where there hasn't been this much issues with like equality maybe than before i mean there still are issues of course yeah even now but Mm -hmm. Not in a way as um, Jude's mom had to face. Definitely. Well, and, that, and they talked about that in the last episode, too, because Emily was talking to her mm-hmm. boss and he was like, I thought my generation was the last to have to deal with this um, mm-hmm. as far as homophobia and everything goes. So, yeah, I think that's a very good point. Generational difference. Takes it for granted, I guess. Yeah. 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 She just grew up comfortable. Right. She's ready to play house and her mom wants her to be aware of her what's going on around her and she should have fight for yeah what she thinks when she knows is coming <laughs> she knows it's coming so then it flashes back to her he says wait in here someone will be along soon go and grace kid and it's raining it was making me think like do they wait for the rain to film because it really adds a lot to the whole atmosphere there's a boston airport sign and then somebody comes omar we learn and says are you a good witch or a bad witch and she says depends on who you ask i guess (laughs) i love that (laughs) what's your name june osborne what's your mother's maiden name maddox that threw me for a loop yeah okay (laughs) because holly is the most like independent feminist person ever and she took a man's last name yeah I, i i always was like with that too yeah I mean this was shocking to me because even June did not take Luke's last name June kept her name of Osborne Holly's name is Holly Osborne and he asks what was her maiden name and she says oh I didn't that's not why I was shocked but now I'm shocked double yeah what shocked me was obviously they need to verify these people that are coming like how would they know the mom's maiden name that's what threw me off like how does Omar know Nick. Well, because I know that in the hospital scene, when the technician says Godspeed June, I knew that was the clue. Nobody knew her name. She hadn't told Emily her name. Obviously, anybody that was going to help her was Mayday because Aunt Lydia knows her name's June. So it obviously, again, it had to be Nick. But the maiden name threw me off completely. Like, how how the fuck do they know this? Right. No, that's actually, that was my first thought, too. I'm guessing that she talked about it with Nick, like, while they're at the Globe. You know, and they were yeah. organizing during that yeah, time like, too. Yeah, yeah, like a secret, like like some some passwords require a like a question for you, right. you need to answer, yeah. and like something that only this person would know. So. What was your first pet? Or yeah, yeah the what's name, of your, name of your first? What street pet? did you grow up on? Yeah, but my first cat, like cat, I had a cat, and it wasn't it Max. <laughs> <laughs> good name I had a cat named Max too I did it's a good name (laughs) yeah so I'm still shocked that she took somebody's last name um because she didn't even he didn't even raise June really like she raised her on her own I was wondering though so her mom was Holly Osborne at some point or did you just choose um probably the name of June's father for her I don't think she was married 
she? Maybe. That's what, it's very confusing to me. Because like, I mean, I, I don't know how it works in America, actually, but like, because I'm not married to my partner, but we have a, a child now. So, and I can decide, or like we can decide what name will be like the family name of the child. Yeah. It's my name or his name. Some hyphenated. I mean, we know June is June Osborne. Couldn't yeah. June have her father's name and Holly just be Holly Maddox? That's her, her yeah. last name. Yeah. Well, it still wouldn't be her maiden name. It doesn't become your maiden name until you get married. Yeah, so. that, that's how I don't like, mm. that's where I'm confused. Because yeah. if you look up the character, it, it's under Holly Maddox. Holly yeah. Osborne is baby, baby, like baby Nicole mm. Holly. All right. Then. So maybe then it is just her name and not a maiden name. That would make more sense to me because it was very confusing to me. Huh. Okay. So Omar gives her a paper that says this guy has a puddle jumper that takes black market stuff back and forth. And she says where? And he says to Canada. Um, and I guess there's a map on it too. That seems uh, dangerous, but here we are. Uh, he said he's coming tomorrow as soon as it's dark. I'll drop you at a friendly house. They'll walk you to the airstrip. And she says, who's they? And he says, no idea which like we've been talking about that way if somebody gets caught the entire chain does not get outed and mm -hmm. he says someone brave or stupid or both there's a lot of both um mm -hmm. i like that though he says come on and then he gets a text and starts like apologizing rapidly and you can tell there's something wrong the safe house isn't safe just wait and he tries to leave and she bangs on his car like not letting him leave no no i love the way she says no like commanding at one point but then she gets to like no please no and you know tears in her eyes and he starts hitting the wheel and cursing the way that she did in the last episode when she changed her mind about leaving and mm -hmm. um and he gets out and lets her in and knows he's being stupid um so they pull up to his apartment building they're sneaking up the stairs and we finally get to learn a little bit about the econo people more than just seeing one how they live and she says this is where i would live if i hadn't been an adulteress I couldn't remember if in the show they blatantly say June becomes a handmaid because Luke and Annie's marriage is not, their divorce is not legal in Gilead. So she was having an affair when she had the baby. I don't remember if they ever say that outright, but here she does say, um, if I hadn't been an adulteress, I would be an econo person. And then he has a little boy and his wife comes out and sees her and is just like shocked and says, no. June uh, lets them go talk and like hangs out and plays with the child. And they have such a similar family to, to June, right? It's an African-American dad, a Caucasian mom, a similarly, similarly aged child. And he says, what does the bell do when they're playing with the truck? And, and the child says it warns people so they can come and help. What does that mean? I didn't understand that. I think he knows that his, his parents are helping. It, it must mm -hmm. be something. He, the child yeah, knows something. that his mm -hmm. parents are helpers or his dad right. is at least. That was the impression I got too. I couldn't quite get there. So, so June, and then the wife comes out and apparently they're going to let her stay unhappily. And she says, thank you for taking me in. And she says, this wasn't my decision. You're a handmaid. That's how they threaten us with the red dress and the wings. I don't know how you can give your baby up to someone else. I would die first. And she, this is where June says, yeah, I used to think that too. Um, and it's just such a perfect line for everything in Gilead, you know? Mm, right. That confused me. Yeah. Confused me a bit when I saw it because she, she's telling her like, I would, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't give up my baby. 
So I'm like, okay, so do these people think that the handmaids volunteer, like they told the Mexican delegation, but then she says, that's how they threaten us with the wings and the red dress. So it's like, Mm. okay, so you know, this is involuntary. And yet you're still judging her for something that, you know, she has no choice because you're in another, you have a little bit more freedom. Like it's a little unfair. I think she's just saying that she would die before she, like, before she would submit and become, and let them rape her, et cetera. Um, before they could tear Hannah out of her arms, which like you said, they, she had no choice, obviously. Exactly. But, uh, but yeah, I was also appalled when she first said that to her. Like, I was wondering watching this, this um, whole family life of them, it's like, why do they actually help? Like, why is Omar risking like his whole family? And he's brave. I mean, you're right. There's absolutely. But he no... said he's not brave. <laughs> like June asks him, right? I like, know. Are you are you brave or stupid? And he said, "I'm definitely not brave." Well, I think he's just oppressed. I mean, look at him. He can't even practice his faith. I mm-hmm. mean, right. he feels the oppression too. So they know that they don't want to be there either. That they had their life taken away. We don't know what they came from before they were put in this little apartment and and basically told to walk around like robots and, you know, not get out of line. Not a very fulfilling life for them either. I don't think the economy people like it either. And it's set up, it's a social hierarchy. So they're probably treated differently. If you're, let's say a doctor or a dentist, Mm -hmm. uh, a trade skill worker. I mean, there's levels and I don't know what level they demoted him to, you know, he's now a delivery truck driver. We don't know what he was before. I mean, I don't know if they like this life so they're probably let's get the word out and somebody help us yeah you know we're here this is not right what's going on and if you can get handmaids out to tell their story yeah that can have some impact I think it's I am it's a big risk too so I I understand Mm -hmm. what Julia is saying like why is he taking that risk they're they are oppressed but they're not as oppressed as the handmaids they have a little bit of kind of freedom quote-unquote to do certain things so yeah why take the risk of of doing something so major of moving people out i think it's just because there's always people that are willing to help even yeah. though it's so disorganized mm-hmm. they know it's wrong first and foremost the, the mm-hmm. society they're living in they know it's it's wrong i do not get the feeling that heather supports their activities with mayday probably at all because no. they're allowed to be together in this life you know even though it sucks they get to be they're surviving the game she wants to keep doing that she wants to keep surviving the game yeah, yeah. i mean it was, it was it was a pretty normal family life for me like mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. when they were looking for adam's shoes and mm-hmm. like yeah, the whole interaction, they kind of seemed very happy to me right so but can I was you like, imagine yeah. how different it would be coming yeah from- our society where and, and theirs, because we're basically at the same time frame where we had technology, we could watch TV, we're online, we're on the internet. And then all of a sudden here in a society where nothing. there's nothing like yeah. she can't read books. So I mean, they're probably really bored. I oh, mean, my God. It'd be I so mean, boring. They just have to sit and they have wooden toys. They don't even have anything that's really stimulating. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they're walking around bored. It's like, it's like so sustain, sustainable toys, like and cl- everything's clean and mm. no plastic. Kind of like a prison. 
I was I was shocked to see the the colorful cranes though. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, at least there's some color left. So exciting! <laughs> yeah, at least at least they can draw something colorful. Well, we would all be in shock if we went from that. <laughs> We'd be like, oh, no, no, yeah, no. not really free. No. People are always watching. You know, people yeah. are always watching. So always what that's what they say they're always yeah watching. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so we see the econo people going to church and uh, june watches the heather tying adam's shoes remembers tying hannah's and that's when they say be quiet everyone here listens to everyone and and the child even chimes in they really do he says and uh, june thanks omar for everything so are you brave or stupid i'm not brave so there you go he said uh, so then we flashed to uh, Holly and June and Holly says, I had you when I was 37. You were very wanted, but it's not really a nice conversation. She's actually saying, I'm disappointed in you. Do you really like that job at the public, that publishing place? Do you want to just read other people's words? Uh, when you were little, you wanted to be on the Supreme Court. And then June says, well, I also want to marry Jordan Catalano. So, but Holly keeps pushing and does not let it go. She says, I sacrificed for you and it pisses me off that you're settling. And so that was all about the job. But then as she gets to the sink, Holly starts in about Luke because they're apparently going to get married now. And she says, she asks how Luke is and June says he's good. He's been working overtime to get more time off for the wedding. And then Holly says, I don't think you should marry him. And I like that moment um, of June's face over the sink because it to me, it was almost like she has her own doubts. The look on her face like something that maybe had crossed her mind before. I don't know. I saw that. I saw that when she goes, when she opens the cupboard, mm-hmm. that's when I see that reaction in her face and that she's second guessing, listening to what her mom's saying, even though she's annoyed because she feels like she's not living up to her mom's standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like in her face, you can read that she is having second thoughts about, about her marriage, especially after Holly uses that word settling, which for me is so important when I analyze this dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it. To me, I saw it over the sink first, like the first moment she brought up, the first moment she said it. I don't know. And then she, so Holly says, this country's going down the fucking tubes. It's time to get out in the street and fight, not to play house, not don't give all that energy to a man. I think it's a mistake. And it's just the theme of this episode uh holly's disappointment and how different june came out to be than what she expected what she wanted that she's not a fighter and that she's willing to settle like you said we're settling comes up a lot in june's pre-gilead life with luke and then it was kind of a dig to tell her how proud she was of moira too you know oh yeah, for yeah. look at what moira's doing her. june's like mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks mom yeah <laughs> Yeah, but it's just all also like a very different situation for Moira because she she's part of this like group as well. I mean, she's she's a lesbian. Yeah. She's right, African American woman fighting for her rights. Yeah. yeah, she needs to fight. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's not as privileged as more than June, June does. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like with Emily as well. You know, Emily. Yeah. You know, we saw in the past episode. You know, she's obviously gay, so she's in in a worse position than June. You know, they're all women, but they all have like different levels of where they're at. June's very complacent, even though she kind of understood. But I always see it as she wanting to go the opposite way of what her mom wanted, kind of like in her rebellious way, because she was going the exact opposite of what her mom wanted her to do, which is something that happens a lot in these types of relationships. So 
it's interesting. And along with the Holly, like telling her that she's settling for Luke, that she doesn't want her to marry Luke. I think you also see that in the show when Moira's um, so annoyed with his reaction to June losing her job and her money and mm-hmm. how he's just like, whatever, I'll take care of you. And it pisses Moira off and June a little, but I, I feel like there's just a lot of signs all throughout, even in their happy pre-Gilead life that uh, this was not the best relationship for who June is. Right. So then it flashes to June looking out of Omar's window, which is insane, by the way. Why? Why? Why it makes me mad. are you going? <laughs> I know. The window. Oh, and the plane with the marbles. It's like, oh, oh right. Yeah. Oh. You can drop one. Boom, boom, Come boom. On. I'm like, oh. Okay. I was so nervous during that scene. Opening the curtains. Yeah. All right. So she's looking out the window and the boy looks back at her. And somebody's like pounding on the door or knocking on the door, asking for Omar and Heather, like kind of aggressively though. And they leave. Right, June hides under the bed, but she she knows it's dangerous now. And she finds the Quran and a prayer rug under the bed. Um, so he's been has to hide his religion as well. Then she hears bells ringing and she puts the toys away and she's thinking of Hannah and the recorder again and playing with the marbles like you said and she says it's almost five o'clock something's wrong because he had told her that they'd be back by two Mm -hmm. um so it's now been three hours and she flashes back to the red center with aunt Lydia lecturing about you know we polluted our water supply our air our bodies and when we were shocked when our world started dying but through our labors through the work of the penitent we can heal and that's right when Moira like grabs her hand because she's seen a picture of Holly of her mom on the screen at the colonies and a single tear falls down June's cheek which happens a lot in this episode um and then they're whispering at night and Moira asked how she thinks they got to her and she said that the clinics destroyed all the abortion records to protect them June said she told Holly that it wasn't safe and Moira says you were right and then June's like, yeah, but so is she. She knew Moira. She always knew. And mm-hmm. she's really understanding now how right her mom always was to be out there fighting. And Moira says, at least it will go fast in the colonies. And she said, not for her. You know, she'll fight like hell. Um, and then I like what she says now, too. She says um, back to her in present June in present time in Omar's apartment. She says, I waited before. I thought things might be OK. I swore I'd never do that again. So she takes Heather's Econa clothes and gets ready to go. Um, I get really sad though when she leaves Nick's brown shirt there because I really like Yeah, shirt. but now she can <laughs> wear 50 shades of gray. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she takes the puddle jumper map that she has. Uh, she walks with the crowd of Econa people. I like um, Megan when you said they look like robots because that is exactly what, mm-hmm. nobody's talking to each other I wrote exactly same yeah mm-hmm. yeah like, like Stepford wives yeah. yeah it's like they had all a clock and walked out at the same time yeah. it's just like it was like scary it was so it was. I, I think it's like it's an ominous scary scene well they're yeah. under surveillance so they know they basically yeah. have to just act like robots and oh. not get out of line so did you realize that the doors of those apartments like the front doors um all have windows that look like an eye no do they yeah they really look they have like this this eye shape i mean i'm not Mm. surprised but that's a good observation i have to go back and look so she walks with a crowd of econo people to the train and talks to someone in you know gilead tongue on the um, platform 
and then gets on the train and gets her map out and that woman's sitting behind her looking at the map I don't know what that means but I happen to notice that yeah uh the girl and it was the girl that she was talking to on the platform the train scene was also kind of funny because she was when she got in there and was trying to read the like station map or something it was Uh just pictures right yeah. So how are you supposed to how, how are you supposed to know what 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 it means? Okay, next station is oh I'll get God, Apple. <laughs> Did you look at that? Like one was I didn't one, look. What were they? Was, I paused and one looked like a person was about to hit get hit by a car <laughs> and the bus. So it's like okay, next station person is going to get hit by a car and bus. I get I'm off there. Skip that one. <laughs> I gotta go back and look at their map that's so funny without words like oh, yeah what, it's, a, what a stupid world they built <laughs> um and boring and then when the guardian so after they get off they're walking in their like robot line and the guardian look when the guardian looks away she like runs into the woods and she's going looking for the airstrip and running through the woods thinking about like when she was running with Hannah and she falls to her knees because you know the trauma is hitting her mm-hmm. of the most traumatic event of her life and then she said she's too young it's too late we come apart my arms are held and the edges go dark nothing is left but a little window a very little window like the wrong end of a telescope and then she remembers seeing Hannah from Serena's car she left me once now I have to leave her and she finds a resolve and gets up and she's running through the cornfield to find the airstrip I find it very impressive that she found this airstrip after running through the woods and the cornfields and very lucky and she finds the planes and she sits down under one and she says raise your daughter as a feminist and she spends all her time waiting to be rescued by men I love that line it's such all the writing is just amazing so many good lines this episode really good yeah like as we go through I'm like oh that would have been like a great favorite line from the show we should do them from like every episode then you flash to Moira to club hooking up in the bathroom sort of um she's getting the other girl off but when it's time for when the other girl wants to reciprocate she refuses um which I think is showing you how fucked up you come out of Gilead as far as sex goes you know there's a lot of trauma involved in recovering from that. And she even says, when the other girl says, I'm Caitlin, Moira says, I'm Ruby, which mm-hmm. was obviously her Jezebel's name. And it's very depressing. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, well, like the whole scene was like kind of a throwback to Jezebel's. Yeah. Kind of, like the, the club, the, club, the yes. music, yes. alcohol. Everyone was like having a good time. And it also- threw me. It threw me off for a second because I've mm-hmm. been watching a lot of Handmaid's Tale today getting ready for these recordings. <laughs> and just that scene came on and I was like, is this a commercial? What? Like, I paid for ad-free Hulu. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, it's, it's, it's not. It's Moira at a club. So, yeah, exactly. It's like jarring to switch from Gilead to this club atmosphere. Um, but, yeah, and it makes sense. She's struggling to overcome that kind of trauma yeah I think right also this meeting with with this like refugee guardian refugee former guardian um kind of also put her Uh, back into her trauma because he was talk like he was talking about gender traitors and Mm -hmm. she was one as well and uh, yeah like I I think that triggered a lot of I think it did too I hadn't thought of it that way at the time but yeah yeah well Gilead fucks you up 
Moira comes home and this is the scene where everybody just looks really depressed to me. Aaron and Luke and Moira are all like super depressed. And thankfully Aaron's like, all right, I know, I know how to cheer these people up. I'll speak for the first time in years. <laughs> she says, blessed be the Fruit Loops. And everybody cracks up and uh, Moira says, how long have you been holding on to that one? She says, a while. And he's like, a really cute smile. Aaron's adorable. And then back to June, the guy comes, the pilot comes. She says, I'm the handmaid. And he says, how do I know you're the real deal? Because she's not wearing the clothes. So she shows him her wound where she cut her ear tag out. And then a driver shows up who looks strangely, suspiciously like another driver that we know. <laughs> so he looks like Nick and she looks around again. I feel like she's looking for Nick, like hoping that he's going to just show up because she loves him. But he does not show up. And June remembers Hannah as a baby. I am not sure what that was supposed to mean, unless it's related to just leaving her, I guess. But she yeah. also has another yeah. baby she needs to worry about now. The, voice, the voiceover says it. Uh, she says, no mother is ever completely a child's idea of what a mother should be. And mm -hmm. I suppose it works the other way around as well. But despite everything, we didn't do badly by one another. We did as well as most. I wish my mother were here so I could tell her I finally know this. So I could tell her I forgive her and ask Hannah to forgive me. Yeah. So I think that that voiceover kind of sums up the episode, what she wanted Holly to be and what she wanted to be in her life. I think those are two parallels. We see, you know, that she kind of resents her mother a little bit because her mother was never there for her. Mm -hmm. in, in certain aspects, she was always fighting. And June wants that. She wants, you know, to be a mother, to have a family. And in this episode, she realizes why her mother wasn't there. And that's why she says, I forgive her. And the fact that she had to realize that she had to leave Hannah uh, is also an ode to that same parallel of the motherhood and the different uh, perspective of motherhoods that the show gives us. And the scene that we skipped right there in the middle is June remembering driving her mom in a convertible with her arms out the window and like free is the word that like comes to mm -hmm. my mind when I'm watching that. Um, and also they're singing Ain't No Hollaback Girl, uh, which Dave pointed out, I didn't notice, but um, it's perfect like lyrics. It's about like getting ready to attack, to fight. I'm, re I'm ready to attack, gonna lead the pack. Gonna get a touchdown, gonna take you out. Every getting everybody fired up. I'm gonna fight, gonna give it my all. Gonna make you fall, gonna sock it to you. I'll be the last one standing. Another one bites the dust. Um, it's just, you know, June's becoming a fighter and they are very good at picking music for this show. So then the plane is taking off and she says, and I could ask Hannah to forgive me and there's a single tear again. And then the plane is under attack. The driver sitting next to her gets shot. The pilot, they take out the pilot out of the plane and shoot him execution style. And she hangs on as tight as she can in there fighting while they're dragging her out so she did not escape and this time the credits are just like silent and sad all right i think that's a wrap on our spoiler free analysis of season two episode three of the handmaid's tale if you're a longtime fan of the show come back on wednesday and listen to our deep dive into this episode thanks for listening bye, bye. you know i think about us the three of us what we could be I think about it all the time. Please, it's terrible. No, it's not. I know June. She's my friend. I care about her. How's your day going? You look pretty. Thanks. I wore it just for you. Her father's a driver named Nick. 